What's up, everybody? Welcome to Season 8 of the Disciple Makers Podcast. My name is Dave Stovall, and I'm your host. Thanks so much for tuning in today, guys. Today's clip that I'm going to share with you is taken from one of our Q&A sessions that we streamed live on our discipleship.org collective. And if you're wondering what that is, let me explain it to you really quickly before we dive in. It is an online community that's designed around conversations about disciple making. And if that's something that you are passionate about, or that you want to learn more about, I want to encourage you now, after this podcast, to go over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for free. So today's clip is taken from that Q&A session where our point leader, Bobby Harrington, interviews Kenan Vaughn of Harvest Church in Memphis, Tennessee. So let me quit talking here and let's jump into this interview. Here we go. I'd like to welcome everyone to this uh, question and answer session. I'm super pleased that Kenan Vaughn, who's from Downline Ministries and Harvest Church Memphis, he'll be joining me. Uh, let me tell you who I am to begin with in case you're a guest. My name is Bobby Harrington. I have the privilege of being the point leader for discipleship.org. And uh, one of the things that I get to talk about today that we don't often talk about is I still continue on as a lead pastor at a church. So Kenan and I both serve as lead pastors, and I'm really excited because the conversation is going to be about lead pastors in a disciple-making church. And uh, Ken and I both know our own weaknesses in this area, but we also know why it's so important that the senior uh, or lead man in the church has to be somebody who uh, is a disciple, who personally makes disciples, as well as preaching on disciple-making. So um, I'm going to just say a short prayer, and I've asked Kenan if he could tell everybody first about Downline Ministries, since he is the founder of Downline Ministries, and then Harvest Church as well. So let me say a short prayer. God, we just uh, publicly commit this time to you. Pray that you'd be glorified and honored We don't want to touch uh, any of the glory that belongs only to our King Jesus. So we commit this to you, King Jesus. Amen. Kenan, tell us about Downline. Thanks, Bobby. Great to be here with you, as always, talking about um, the Lord's church and making disciples. And so this is really a privilege for me. Uh, So Downline is uh, in our 15th year and it really began out of a discipleship relationship, and, uh, and it's, it's just it's it's a piece of my testimony. Uh, I was in youth ministry right out of college, and I was pretty um, well. I was very uh, be honest with you. I was I was very young in my faith, passionate about the Lord and the gospel, and um, and, and loved the context to try to share my faith with young people in the next generation. But I didn't have really any formal training, any theological training, and, and most importantly, I had never had a discipling relationship. And uh, by God's grace, pastor at my church uh, connected me to Soup Campbell, who was, uh, is still to this day kind of an inner city legend here in Memphis. He, he's been living in one of the most difficult parts of our community for over 30 years. He's just super well respected as a godly man in our community who's given his life for the gospel. And, and um, I uh, heard him speak at our church. And uh, the, as the story goes, I was blown away. He taught out of John 15. I was so blown away by his teaching. I had never heard anyone teach like that. 
um, just verse by verse, giving you the original language, what the application was. And just the man has a great humility and yet teaches with a great authority, a clear um, knowledge of Christ, not just of his word, but of Christ. And so after he was finished speaking that evening, I went up to him and asked, um, did, did he have any kind of a Bible study or something I could get in that I wanted to learn more? And, um, it's kind of, it, it's kind of funny now it wasn't at the time, but he told me to call him the next day and, and we talk about it. And I did. And he told me to call him in a week and, uh, and I did, and he told me he was busy to call him in a month. And so, uh, at this point I thought he was blowing me off, but I called him once more. He told me to come to his house at uh, 5 a.m. the next morning. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what that was about. That was a bit looming. And so I drove out to the middle of one of the most desperate uh, parts of our city, impoverished parts of our city, uh, um, one of the more gang-infested parts of our city, frankly. And and um, I show up there in the night, quarter till five, and soup standing in the front yard. So it was kind of a scary moment. Uh, just I just didn't know what I was doing. And and he had me sit down on his front porch, and he said to me, I don't care how smart you are or how talented you are. All I care about is whether or not you can be faithful. And if you can, I'll show you how to be a man of God. And uh, and I tell you, Bobby, even as I remember it now, I, I came unglued emotionally. I cried. I didn't really I, – I told him I didn't know what he meant, and I didn't want to be unfaithful and say I could be faithful. I just didn't know. But I knew this. I would never had anybody give me an invitation like that. I would liken it to Paul telling the Thessalonians and the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. It was that kind of an invitation. Uh, again, he didn't say, I'll teach a Bible study on this. He said, I'll show you how to be a godly man. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, we did meet every Tuesday morning the next three years. He'd teach me God's word, but then we'd meet throughout the week and he'd live it out right before me. Uh, literally took me under his wing, treated me like a son, invited me into his home, into his personal life, into his ministry life. And that was the first time I had ever had a, a disciple, a discipleship relationship, according to what I see in the New Testament, starting with the model of Christ in the 12, what we see modeled by those apostles and Apostle Paul and Timothy or Paul and Luke and Barnabas, John, Mark, wherever we want to go. When we see discipleship in the Bible, I, uh, I feel like I had the privilege of having a relationship like that, a spiritual father in suit that burdened me for my own church. And, uh, and then I began to talk to pastors, this is in 2002, which is a long time ago now, um, uh, about the church in, in the Memphis community where I've grown up and, and, and know a lot of folks I'm very passionate about. And, and what became obvious through my conversations with pastors is that Soup Campbell is far more of the exception than he is the norm. They were confessing that there's so few churches with men and women who are godly, committed, mature Christ followers intentionally investing into the next generation like soup is with me. And yet we all acknowledge that is the biblically prescribed model of Christ and the mandate of the Great Commission. And that was uh, just a burden. I didn't know what to do with it. Um, and fast forward, I, I studied a year under Tommy Nelson in Texas and then went to Dallas Seminary and Prof. Howard Hendricks became a mentor. And uh, the Lord just kept this burden of discipleship, especially discipleship in the local church, just at the center of my heart. And uh, I remember asking Prof. Hendricks one day, Am I missing something here? I'm just always thinking about how do we get disciple making wound back into the fabric of the local church. And he said, no, I don't, I don't think you're missing something. And I considered prophet still do kind of a Yoda in the faith. And he said, uh, I think this is the bullseye, the target of, of what's gone wrong with Western evangelicalism. And I think you should give your life to it. And I remember saying to prof, what do I do? And, and if he had had the answer, I was ready to sign up. But he said, well, I'm not the fourth member of the Trinity, but, but you need to keep asking the Lord until he gives you an answer on that. And so I did. 
in what ultimately the vision that God gave me was for Downline Ministries. And it is a ministry here, 15th year in Memphis, where really I took what God had taught me over the last six years with Soup and with Tom Nelson and Prof Hendricks, and we created a nine-month institute here in Memphis, which now has locations um, elsewhere um, as well, Little Rock in Conway, Arkansas. Um, and uh, we uh, uh, have leaders from churches, lay leaders, uh, and that can be uh, pastors and vocational uh, ministers as well, but predominantly lay leaders. And we teach them Genesis through Revelation. The, the number one thing lay people I've always heard say in terms of if you ask them if they want to make disciples, they'd say, what does that mean? And I don't feel like I have any theological training. I don't know my Bible well enough. And so we spend this nine months teaching the word of God and practical discipleship training. And the goal is to really see them come through this, having their affections for Christ stirred, deepened in their faith, uh, loving Jesus more than ever, and going back into their local bodies, equipped to really make disciples. And, and through enough leaders trained in enough churches that we could see the culture of the church restored to that biblical disciple-making culture we see in Scripture. So that's downline. That's what we've been doing by God's grace in Memphis, uh, where I've served this ministry. We have trained over 3,500 leaders um, over the last 15 years from 60 different churches. So God has really touched this movement here. And by the way, Bobby, I'd say this because I know listeners are coming in from all over. Um, the pandemic, which obviously provides great challenges for all of us, also provide an opportunity. We put our entire training on the Zoom platform. And, and, um, and so the Downline Institute, we now we have a live stream class. We have about 150 students right now going through live stream from all over the place. And uh, we really believe that's likely uh, a, an, an open door that, that the Lord has given us that, that um, we've got several ministries we're considering partnering with that want to use Downline to train staff. A lot of them are missionary, uh, missions-oriented ministries. But uh, just anybody listening, if you're going, man, I'd love to know my Bible and uh, be equipped to make a disciple, um, then uh, just I would offer that up. The Downline Ministries training is now available online, live stream right now. Um, and you asked about Harvest Church about half, uh, about eight, uh, seven years ago, seven years uh, last month. Felt the Lord. Um, oh, long story made short, I, I was uh, feeling the Lord stirring in my heart towards pastoral ministry in the church. I love my role at Downline. Love supporting all of the churches. Love being a resource for the church. My heart is 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 for the church. And um, and in that, I was uh, my wife and I were members at Fellowship Church in Memphis. And we were praying uh, through this, and and they the elders were praying through the possibility of having me become a campus pastor. That's kind of their ecclesiological model. And in that prayer process, what became evident to to all of us was that my gifts would be better suited as a church planter than a than a campus pastor in their model. And uh, and that and that began a longer prayer journey. Where after about a year and a half, um, uh, God made it clear that that I was to plant and. Um, even opened the door. There was a, a Baptist church in uh, Germantown right outside of Memphis here that was um, kind of on its last leg. And in the providence of God in this time of season of prayer, and and they called me and they, they this little body, um, 25 believers, uh, mostly elderly, were asking God to bring a church plant that would be a gospel-centered, disciple-making church plant that could kind of be their legacy that they could hand this church off to. And it was one of those God moments where you just are in awe of, of, of what God has done. And uh, through a time of prayer and fasting with a group of folks I was committed to, we believed that was the door God had opened. And so we planted Harvest Church in uh, October of 2013 to be just that, uh, gospel-driven, disciple-making church. And it's been a great chance for me to, to um, 
practice what I've been teaching through Downline Ministries and what I've experienced in my own life uh, in church leadership. And that's been uh, largely the story of what we've been doing at Harvest for the last seven years. Wow. So Ken and I spent some time on your website for Harvest Church the other day and was really impressed with the development and uh, uh, also have great uh, uh, affinity for your views of leadership, uh, very similar to what I think the Bible teaches. So that was super encouraging too. Um, Now, COVID would have hit your church like the rest of ours. So um, uh, I want to dive into your leadership there and leadership in churches generally from a senior pastor chair. Uh, Before we do that, though, um, I want to encourage everybody to be writing any questions you have in the chat box. Our team is uh, watching the chat box, and uh, we want this to be an authentic uh, Q&A time. So make sure you're writing questions in the chat box, and we will try to get to them. The first one that I want to get to is um, when you started the church, Canon. what did you do from day one to make sure that disciple-making is the core mission? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, and I think there's a great advantage in planting a church on this question that not everybody has. If you come into a church with an existing culture, I think it's a lot more of an uphill battle more times than not to reorient a culture around disciple-making. But uh, by God's grace and just in his uh, providential design for Harvest, we had a core team uh, of, uh, of, of committed folks, about 30, about 15 couples. And these were uh, uh, three of my mentor couples um, and, uh, and, and several of my close friends, most all of whom had been through Downline. We had a very, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, a, uh, the same vision for the, uh, seeing a church built around the mandate of the Great Commission, the model of Christ in ministry. And we knew that uh, the responsibilities of shepherding the people and, and preaching the gospel and carry out, carrying out the ordinances and all of those things would be a part of our church life and, and an incredibly important part and an edifying part. But we always wanted the center to be this mission of Jesus for his church, that how are we going to always be an equipping church? So one thing we did right off the bat that was, that was really important, we just kind of acknowledged that one day there'll be so many things happening Lord willing, that could that there are good things that could become distracting from the main thing. So we committed just as a group. Hey, at the end of the day, let's let's be true to our first call in Christ to be to be um, following Him, and and part of following Him we see as um, uh, uh, making disciples. I think it, to be a disciple of Christ is to be a disciple maker of Christ. And so we thought if we just simply hold each other accountable in love. If as our core team, uh, we are committed to each personally, like I want to always in any season of my life and every chapter have some some younger men, younger men in the faith that I'm pouring my life into uh, the truth of God's word in my life and a discipling relationship, much like I described between soup and I. And we thought, you know, if every one of us just remains true to this, no matter how we orchestrate our systems and structures to try to scope this thing out for however many folks God would bring, um, that would infect the culture. Uh, with the discipling uh, orientation that would multiply. Uh, and, and sure enough, gosh, and those, so, so starting with a handful of disciple makers, and then I would do um, uh, monthly training, which became quarterly training. Uh, I even called them the mighty men. And, and our ladies, we, you know, were the, the noble women. And, and we were, and the, the goal was for these, you know, mighty men, the gibberims, that word in Hebrew for David's mighty men, the kail uh, for this Proverbs, a noble woman. And, and the goal was that we're just 
let's let's encourage one another as iron sharpens iron to be faithful to making disciples. And even as folks began to come and as, as crowds would gather to hear the preaching of the word or to check out a new church or, or whatever, wounded people, lost people, folks coming, uh, what they may not know when they come and, and sit in the pews on Sunday is that there's a group of people that are multiplying the gospel relationally through disciple making. And over time, it, you know, sometimes addition will outrun multiplication just for a hot minute, but then it switches. That multiplication is going to catch up. And so uh, not only do we have a group of men, and from the time we've, uh, we, we're a plurality of elder-led church, uh, started with um, eight core uh, men who became the elders. And uh, from that time, part of our a staple in our elder training is, is that commitment to being a, a personal disciple maker. In other words, everything rises and falls with leadership. So leaders have to be committed to living a certain lifestyle that's an example before our people. We don't just want to talk about making disciples. Uh, we have uh, 27 elders right now at Harvest. If our people, if there's, if those are 27 disciple makers, you, I don't care how many people we have. That is a powerful witness and testimony to all of the people in the flock of Harvest Church of what it means to follow Christ. That example alone, that's 27 multiplying examples. And most of them are connected. Most of them are in D groups or discipleship communities, which is what we call our small groups. So that, that's the second thing I was going to say. We oriented our language and our structures around disciple making. We try to be a little bit of minimalist. In other words, we don't want to start 100 programs. We just want to start a few that allow us to go really deep in terms of making discipling um, investments in our people. We talk a lot about shepherding our people well and discipling them well. Um, of course, Hebrews 13, we've got to give an account uh, for their soul, be able to give an account. So we take that very seriously. We just want to know where they are. And we want to be able to uh, know them, love them, shepherd and disciple them. And so, uh, yeah, we created systems and a language that our people would understand about how to grow. Colossians 1, we're to present everyone mature in Christ. Ephesians 6, uh, 4, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So our systems are places where those biblical mandates are carried out in the loving community of believers. Wow. So, Kenan, when we were starting discipleship.org, uh, remember conversations you and I and Robbie Gallaty and several of the other guys had. In fact, we came up together with that statement that disciple making is the core mission of the local church. That's amazing that you're seven years old and you already have 27 elders. Yeah. So what kind of numbers of people are you seeing uh, in your church and in your small groups? Mm -hmm. Well, we have about, uh, we have 1,560 members and we have, um, uh, well, before the pandemic hit, which has changed our worship rhythms, we had uh, about 2,000 coming in our weekly worship. Um, and, and we have a, about half of that number coming actively in worship. And, and, and much of that is for good reason right now, I, I think. And, but we are, we're live streaming our services. Many it's, it's wise for whatever their situation or underlying conditions or, or whatnot to utilize the live stream. And, uh, but we, uh, but our systems uh, are, are really, uh, really twofold, I would say primary systems. One is our discipleship communities. We've when you go through membership at Harvest, which is a process, we, we ask you to give us Saturday morning to come here. My story, uh, the which kind of has in it the heartbeat of our church, to go through our statement of faith, our, our covenant for what it looks like to be a member, and our core values. And the, the gospel and disciple making are our two primary core values. And then we have seven others. Well, in that time, we talk about what it means to be a member. And if, if they uh, feel led to be a member of this particular church body, 
then part of what that means is they're willing to be a part of a discipleship community, which is a smaller group than the Sunday massive gathering. And, uh, and I think this is important in any church, especially though a large church. Like obviously we can't just disciple 1,560 members presently from merely our corporate worship. It's a crucial spiritual meal in their diet, we feel like, but it's, it's not the entire enchilada. Like there's a lot more that goes into it. At the end of the day, New Testament, we want to get them down to numbers where they can really be known relationally. So our small groups, which are family oriented, uh, we have, a, so every one of our elders leads a discipleship community. And from the beginning, one reason we have a, a lot, a, a good number of elders, 27, is because there's a, a, an assistant um, couple uh, to our leadership couple in each group that we're always training so that we can kind of multiply groups. And, uh, and in those groups, they're like traditional small groups. Most of them meet at people's homes. They have access to the church if they need be. The place isn't as important as the relationships are. So they're, we give them sermon questions each week. They're chewing on the sermon together um, so that it, uh, we believe God's work continue to kind of do that work on our hearts. But they are, uh, the leaders of that group are getting to know the people in a shepherding relationship, like to know really who they are, where they are, what makes them tick, what their struggles are, what their fears are insecurity, sin, to be able to pray for one another, to encourage one another. So that group is extremely close. And the leadership of those groups multiply. Most of our elders are small group leaders before they're elders. They're kind of already doing the work of an elder, and we are able to just recognize them uh, in the position of elder. And then we have one step, I don't know if it's further, just complimentary. I wouldn't say further, complimentary to that. We have something called the Gospel Journey, and it's just a, a tool that gives us a chance to, uh, to really um, unify our language. Our elders, primarily me and a few of our elders, have written just a little study guide to books of, of the script of, of the Bible. And every three times a year, we'll kick off a little nine to twelve week uh, path. So the Gospel Journey has twelve paths. We've done it for three years now, uh, or four years now, and now we're rotating back to year one. Um, and so we start with the Gospel of John, and I've just written a little complimentary, a little bookmark. shows you what to read every day, uh, discussion questions, and what it allows us to do is, these are for gender-specific. This is for men with men, women with women. And it gives me a chance three times a year to go from the pulpit and say, hey, uh, one of the greatest things about being a part of this church is we want you, if you're a younger believer, or even a non-believer, to have a chance to be in a relationship with somebody that really knows the Lord and can uh, can walk with you through the season of your life and teach you to learn from and um, uh, look to and apply God's word and live accordingly. And again, it's kind of an invitation to a relationship like I had with soup that so many people in the church, they don't have. And I'll talk about it six weeks before path one. Say, so, and over the next six weeks, we want you to find, uh, we want you to ask the question, find a godly uh, person in this church and say, can I go on the next path with you? All of our mature believers were saying, another way, you invite people, fill, fill your group. And we say, if you just brand new and don't know anybody, come talk to us on staff, we'll get you in a group. And so for six weeks, I, I get to pump a path. Then a path starts. So we have, I, I just, for the lack of, uh, for clarity, they're D groups, they're discipleship groups. And we have hundreds of them going on. They take place all over the city. They're just men with, with men, women with men, women. And a lot of times our discipleship community, the men in that group will do a, 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 the gospel journey together. So it complements each other more often than not. But that's kind of the tip of our spear. Um, having that link, that gospel journey tool gives us a language from the pulpit. If you're in harvest more than six months, you're going to keep hearing about the next path and invite, you know, asking somebody if I can go on the path. Like there, there's a language that everyone's speaking. So you don't have to go up to somebody and say, Hey, 
can you disciple me? And they're like, what do you mean? And there's no expectations. Nobody knows what anybody means. This is a clear pathway that's already designed for you. And it basically propels you into a discipling relationship. It's, it's centered on God's word and built around relationships in the gospel. And so it's a way for us to basically encourage everyone coming, even if you're not a member, everyone visiting to help get them into discipling relationships with more mature believers. That's good. So Kenneth, I've got a couple of uh, specific questions, but just real quick on how you guys are doing with that. If you're over a couple thousand on Sundays before COVID, how many are in your uh, groups with the, uh, your shepherding groups and how many are in your D groups? Yep. We've got about a thousand of our folks in our discipleship communities, which some might say, uh, some, some of my pastor friends celebrate that. They're like, that's incredible. To be honest with you, it's, it's actually a point of a little bit of a lament. We, we, uh, all of our members are meant to be in discipleship communities. That's really how we shepherd for them, and, and we want to do that well. But there's just always that ebb and flow of people who are transitioning from one group to another yeah. or moving different. Yeah. I mean, just, so, but we have about 1,000 of our, of our 15, 60 in discipleship communities. The, the gospel journey um, is a little bit harder to chart the exact numbers, but I'd say we have well over a hundred groups going. That's great. Um, and we probably, you know, each group might, let's say they average four. Uh, I, I'd say though, we have probably six or 800 folks in explicit. Yeah, no, that's great. And okay. most of the, and, the, and that's meant, that's built and meant to multiply. It's not, it's not, it, we don't hold it so rigidly that you have to multiply, but it, it's a, it's really a three year journey. Uh, and, 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 and for instance, my own group, the young men that are in, in this group, some of them are, they're all, all levels of maturity, but if they've been with me for three years, my easy challenge for them is, Hey, it's time for you to lead a group now. And the next time, the next lap the church takes, you invite men to follow you as you follow Jesus. So it naturally onboards you into a discipling relationship and, Lord willing, he, he has to provide the growth, of course, but kicks you out as a disciple maker, ready to lead your own group, having been in it for one, two, or three years. And because some men are just kind of quicker on the take than others. Yeah. But uh, it really produces disciple makers intrinsically. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. Okay, guest uh, 5566 says, Kenan, you can only do relational discipleship with a couple of people. What kind of intention, uh, with that kind of intention, how do you decide who you're going to disciple? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's one of the, that's a great question, and I would agree with the premise. You, you know, uh, Jesus had 12, and uh, 
and I'm not Jesus, so I'm going to have far less than that. But for me, I, I'd agree. I, just a handful of guys. I, I mentioned a moment ago, most of our groups might be averaging four, a, a leader and three or four people. That's pretty normal. And um, how do you decide who the disciple is? One of the questions that just gets asked all the time. And I don't have a, a uh, kind of a cute packaged answer. Uh, I, I've really, and I don't think this is a cop out either. It's just my experience. The best thing I can tell people is God knows your heart. And I don't feel like he leaves his people uh, without good shepherding in their life when that's the desire of their heart. I don't think he leaves them on the sideline when they're ready to serve and make disciples. So I think it's a matter of prayer. I think you go to the Lord and you say, I'm willing, I'm available. I want to be engaged in the Great Commission. Open my eyes to see people as you see them today. And I'd say pray that a 24-hour prayer every day. And, and I, I just tell you what, if you do that for about 40 days, I would really challenge you. I do not think at the end of 40 days, your question will still be a question. I think that the Lord will reveal to you. Uh, you'll sense it. It'll be a spiritual conversation with someone at the gym that, that the lights come on. You're like, maybe this is a guy I should invite to do the gospel journey path. Or maybe this is a guy God wants me to take an interest in and invite to lunch and go deeper. And, and you'll just start to feel the spirit leading as you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the hard part for me, and, and probably for someone praying that prayer, is there's just opportunities everywhere. And so uh, one thing that I rely on as a, as a pastor, and uh, it, there's folks all the time, uh, and, and now uh, probably because of my role as a pastor and a disciples ministry leader, people come to me all the time saying, hey, I, I, can you disciple me or can you help me? So I do a whole lot of uh, connecting men with other men in our church. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that's a great role. I think staff and, and leadership can play, but I do think the specific answer to that question, I think it's a matter of prayer. I agree with the premise. I think take that to the Lord and let the spirit lead. Okay. Rick, it looks like, uh, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but lean Weber says is elder training different than disciple making groups. And, uh, what do you cover in each? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, our elder training, so our elder process, our, our people once a year, we have about a three-month process. It begins with the, the members having a chance to nominate elders. Um, our present elders vet those nominations and then, then present uh, uh, candidates back to the body. And, uh, and those that the body receives, you know, they vote. And uh, those that are not disqualified in any way that any of us know of, the whole membership, according to the standards given in First Timothy 3 and um, – or first, uh, Titus three and, uh, sorry, Titus one, first Timothy three, our brain got sideways. Uh, we then take and we take through about a two month training process. And so we read a couple books on what does it mean? A faithful eldering shepherding by Tabidion Mobile. And, uh, and we, we walk through, uh, what it means to, uh, be a, a good shepherd of the flock according to first Peter five. Uh, we study the eldering text together. Uh, we have them do a self-assessment. What, what is that text you use again? First Peter five. No, no, no. Faith uh, is a book. Uh, faithful uh, elder. Faithful eldering. Yes. F Finding faithful elders. Yeah. To be the Anwabile. Okay. A uh, great book. Um, and, uh, and we, so we read together as we study the scriptural passage on eldering. A lot of it is, again, they've already been recognized for their character in the Lord by an entire body, according to a scriptural standard. They do a self espousal assessment to really probe deeply as to whether they're, they're, biblically qualified to serve. And then, um, and then I, I do a lot of what is the expectation, what time will it require, 
Um, they do they do membership interviews. They do a lot of front lines ministry work with hospital visits, marriage counseling, crisis ministry. So in each of those areas, I do a little bit of training, and then there's uh, it's almost like an apprenticeship. Before they do anything themselves, they do they do the work alongside existing elders. Our elder terms are three years. So at any given time, we have third year elders, second year elders, and the new guys. So the new guys serve alongside the year two and year three guys. And they, so they do like two of everything before they do anything on their own, which is of course, discipleship. And, um, and that's how we bring them on board with the, with the ministry responsibilities of eldering. Uh, so it starts with me teaching and training from the word and books we're reading, and then it's practicing alongside other elders. Uh, and then they're, then they're doing the work of an elder. Um, and that, that is an entire enclosed process of elder training that we have at Harvest Church. Being in a D group, I think that was the question. How is that different than being in a D group? Again, the D group is for any person. It could be even a lost person that that, that works, that's your neighbor, that you say, hey, we're doing this really cool study in James. Um, I'm gonna, it's going to be me and a couple guys on my back porch. I'd love you to come, you know, just somebody you grill out and talk across the fence with. Say, hey, join us, man. I'd love to have you in here. That's, it, you can use it evangelistically. So it's not elder training. Uh, uh, I mean, ultimately, I guess it is, but but it's it's uh, it's discipleship. You're you're getting in the word together, and you're using that time each week as a uh, bridge to build deeper relationships, where you can ultimately um, invest the word in your life according to First Thess two eight. Um, because you love somebody enough, you give them the gospel of God in your life as well. So it's a chance to make disciples. It's good. So Rick keeps asking hard questions. He asked, "How many attenders?" Are uh, transfer growth and how many conversion growth? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'd say the majority of our church is transfer growth, for sure. But by God's grace, um, we have we have uh, added about three hundred people a year, and it's kind of one of those things when you when you're I, I suppose, and this is just it's a stewardship. It's nothing that it's a challenge and stewardship. It, it's nothing to boast in. Um, our only boast, of course, is Christ and the gospel. But when it's one of those things where a church starts growing fast. There are a lot of people that just come because they want to see what's going on. And so we, we're we not trying to foster. You know, we obviously get most excited about conversion growth. By God's grace, we've uh, we've baptized people regularly for the entire seven years. Um, and and so I, I, I hesitate to put a number, but I, I know that we've seen um, in the hundreds of folks who have come to Christ by God's grace, but out of 1,560 members, most of those were already Christians and had some place of worship. Maybe they were new in town. Maybe they were uh, leaving a church for good reason, we hope. Um, we do have a process in our membership where we ask them where they're coming from, why, uh, you know, what those reasons are. Have they communicated those to the leadership in a loving manner? Can we help them with that? So we, we, uh, we try to be uh, uh, thoughtful, gracious. We don't just want a bunch of disgruntled folks hopping churches and then being disgruntled at our church. And so yeah. we try to, uh, 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 you know, teach even through that process. So Kenan, um, how do you make sure that the leaders in your church are disciple makers, like people on staff and elders? How do you make sure that they're disciple makers? Well, one is by example, you know, again, they, they need to see that in me and that needs to be obvious. That's the way I live my life. And therefore when I'm, and I, the way I always teach this is this isn't my job description. This is my followership of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple. And we need to be mature disciples if we're on staff, if we're elders. And I think a mature disciple is a reproducing disciple. 
So they see my lifestyle, that it matches my words, and hopefully that it's one that they can follow. And, and, uh, and, 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 and we encourage each other on that. So again, it's not always cookie cutter. Their D group doesn't have to look like mine, but, but that they are intentionally making disciples would be a prerequisite of leadership. Now, anybody we hire on staff, they know our core values. The discipleship is central. Uh, they know our system. So, so all of our elders, again, lead a discipleship community, and they're overseeing two more. Both of those two are led by someone that they're discipling. So it's rigged into the process. They are training tomorrow's elders before their elders. So they're discipling other leaders already. They're also shepherding, discipling those in their group. And they, most of them are in a uh, gospel journey group. Our staff all have to be in a discipleship community. Again, that's part of being a member. So they're going to have to be model members. And uh, I don't know that we have a written rule that they have to be in a gospel journey group, but I think I can say safely that they all are. That's they're right. all in, they're all in, they're all leading uh, gospel journey groups. It's just kind of the, it's the culture. It's what we do. Um, everybody's in a DC. And if you're a, if you're a staff or an elder, of course, you're participating in the systems and structures we have. Those systems and structures necessitate disciple making. That's good. So Kenan, what is the biggest challenge for you personally mm-hmm. as you try to lead a disciple making church? There's a lot, there's a lot of challenges. I, I think um, the biggest is just continuing to be a healthy example before others in the sense that we haven't talked about this, but I've got five children by God's grace, five boys. And, um, and in this season of life, they're presently 13, 11, 10, seven, and two. And, um, and uh, <laughs> I just have to laugh there for a second. That's yeah, so sweet, but so challenging. Yeah, if I don't laugh, I cry. So I'm with you. Um, no, I, I love them. Obviously, I love them so much and I'm so thankful for them. And but I've never been in this season. It's new for me where, where I mean, they're coming into teenage years and and their their schedules, but also their emotional capacity. Everything's demanding more and there's more opportunity to pour in. So for me, I've, I've, my wife and I have kind of had this nice little rhythm where we have young people in our house a lot, and I've got a D group, and she's got a D group, and it's challenge, more challenging than ever for us to make disciples in the same ways we always have, um, because there's just more being required of us at home. And and again, I'm not a guy that makes big rules and laws about you have to do it this way this season. I think it can look different, uh, but right now we've, um, you know, I'm I'm uh, still doing my gospel journey group, but I'm. I'm really, I'm beginning to take my sons actually through the gospel journey. And I've got some of my guys that I've been with a while that are helping uh, teach my sons and kind of, but, but I'm beginning to really dig in at a whole nother level, just cognitively, theologically, relational maturity, everything with my own sons. And, and I love coaching. I played sports uh, growing up and through uh, high school and into college. And so um, I love coaching their teams here and there. I, I kind of mix around. I can't coach, you know, I coach one at a time in any given season. But now they're at the stage where, again, getting to know their peers. Uh, there's evangelism opportunities with, uh, with those families. There's disciple-making opportunities among their friends. So the context kind of changes, uh, but the opportunities are always there. So the biggest challenge for me goes back to the first guy's question, how do I know where to give myself? Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, you know I'm no one's functional savior. I want to faithfully lead Harvest and Downline, preach the gospel, and, 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 and be a good husband and dad and disciple-maker. And uh, right now, I tell, I tell you, the opportunities before me feel like this massive orchard of low-hanging fruit, and I want to grab all of it, and, uh, and, and I can't. And so yeah. it's, it's hard to govern myself. It's hard to not run myself ragged 
Um, there, I was telling somebody the other day, there's a, a group, a brand new group, of, a crop of young guys that have started coming to our church. And I'm licking my chops, looking at them. Going, the more I get to know them, thinking there's explosive potential here. I want to get my hands on these guys. Then there's three guys. And I look into things like this as providential. Three guys in my season of life. So I'm, in my, I'm 42. Um, three guys in my season of life. Two of them in broken marriages that, uh, that I've been involved somewhat counseling. And then, and then one of them just kind of in this broken place in his life. All three, God is, they're brand new believers, if that. And I'm going, man, I'd love to grab hold of these three guys. It's just three of them. They've come and they're in the same place. And then there's these uh, opportunities with my oldest son's friends to launch a D group. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, I want to do all these things and I can't. And so, again, to pray, God help me to know where to apply myself and to not over, to not outpunt my coverage and, and just just give a little bit everywhere, then, then I think I'm not doing anybody a great good. So that's my biggest challenge. So this material you're talking about, the gospel journey, uh, where can people go if they want to get that material? Yeah, on our website. They just go to harvestmemphis.org and then look under resources. And um it's easy. I mean, it's a, it's a bookmark. You can download it or, or uh, print it off, laminate it yourself, or, or we can send you a pack of them for uh, the cost, which is almost nothing. And, um, and it shows you your daily reading, and it has a basic hermeneutical questions on the back. So you teach them to read uh, through the lens of op- observation, interpretation, application, help them to become, know how to be students of the word intrinsically. And then you're coming together each week, and you're you're, you're and we got a field guide for the leaders to kind of help them know where the where the places to, to dig in are, and where the theological tensions or challenges may lie, and clarifying language and context. So they've got got that field guide, and they're on the path, and they're in God's word. And and we train our leaders every uh, quarter before every new path starts that this is not meant to merely be a study in God's word. That study is a central part of the discipling relationship but really it's relationship centered. So we encourage you to maximize time with your group involved. So for me, involve those guys in my life, involve them in my family routine. If we do a grill out on a Friday night or a family night involved, I invite a couple of those guys over for bedtime routines with my kids. These guys are dads or future dads, uh, working out together. Uh, anytime I go on the, on the road to speak, I'll always take one of them with me. So I just try to get life with them, uh, along. I don't, I don't really, quote unquote, add things to my schedule as much as I just invite them to be involved in what I'm already doing. That's really good. So, uh, Kenan, with the people watching today, uh, especially the senior pastors, if you were to recommend a couple of books, uh, I'd like to know what books you'd recommend. Um, I also have another question uh, that I want to ask you. I want to ask first, though, if Dave, can you uh, queue up. We want to encourage people with a course we're offering on holistic disciple making. So I'm going to get Dave, if you'll show that uh, really quickly, and then we'll come back. And, and I want to get your recommendations, uh, Kenan, on books. And then I have one other question for you. Hey guys, you can have immediate access to all the material from the holistic disciple making intensives. And you can purchase the course for personal use at a time that's best for you. It's called our Holistic Disciple Making Masterclass and Certification. And with it, you get access to all the in-depth discussions in video and in written form, online assessments, and you get discipleship.org's certification. So for more information, please click the tab below. 
Well, I want to encourage everybody with that course that you've just seen the information on. We're getting a lot of great feedback on it, and uh, I know it'd be a real blessing to you. So I'm back here with Kenan Vaughn, and Kenan, I wanted to ask you if you would recommend a couple of books on disciple-making and leading for pastors, especially senior pastors. Sure. Well, I just went and grabbed off my shelf during that commercial. Here's the one I referenced earlier, by the way, Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons by Tabidi. Um, so just to, to show you that. that yeah, I, I, it, I may be preaching to the choir, but the first book I always recommend on disciple-making is um, Robert Coleman um, and uh, Master Plan of Evangelism. If you haven't read it, it's a classic for good reason. And, yes. and so it's not as much on, hey, here's how to lead the church as much as it is, here's how to be a disciple maker. Here's how Jesus did it. Here's the principles. And so I think that's the first place that we don't start, you know, that we always come with the posture of a learner, refresh all your own systems and, um, and really be challenged in your own heart. Because the greatest thing a leader can do is set an example. Uh, more than teach on a series, it's to start modeling it. And then my favorite book on uh, on this, uh, there's many great ones, but I've always been really challenged by The Trellis and the Vine. And uh, I think it is a great organizational leadership book uh, from a disciple maker's perspective. And so it's helped me tremendously. I've had our entire staff read it. And I think it's really helpful on um, how to make sure your church is becoming a church that's got enough trellis to be to grow a healthy vine but is ultimately focused on the vine work and not the trellis. That's and good. so uh, it is a really good one. That's really good, Kenan. Okay, here's my last question for you. Um, as we look out and we see um, trying to influence other churches to be disciple-making churches, which, of course, with Downline, you've been working very hard on that. Um, what, in your opinion, can we do to help more churches, especially lead pastors, senior ministers, really commit themselves to creating disciple-making churches? Mm. Yeah. It's uh, a good question. You know, I'll, um, I think there's, there's a spiritual aspect. There's, there's something only God can do and then something man can do. And, you know, you're asking what can we do? And I think that we, I continually underestimate the, the power of prayer that we just be a people praying for a disciple-making movement that would start in the, revival in the hearts of so many pastors. I think, I think almost all pastors, I give any pastor the benefit of the doubt that their desire is to serve and honor and glorify Jesus and faithfully preach his word and love his people. Many I've met are exhausted. Um, many are, are kind of the, the tail of the church begins to wag the dog and they're just chasing so many little things down that uh, I remember talking to one pastor about downline 15 years ago, a theological giant in our city. And we were talking, I just told him the story of soup and I, and, he just had this moment of silence and, and uh, he said, you know, I used to pour into young men like soup is with you. I said, what happened? He said, church. And it was just that like all of the responsibilities, everything that was expected of him was strangling out that kind of first passion yeah. pouring in. And so I think um, I remember one time when I was, uh, you may be familiar with uh, Mark Dever and some of what he does with nine marks. Um, but one of the most powerful things he does he does a weekend or every uh, quarter or so. I had the privilege before harvest began, and I already had the leanings, ecclesiological leanings he had as it related to plurality of elder leadership. But I had a chance to, a friend invited me to go up and, and be a part of one of these weekenders and see how not uh, Capitol Hill Baptist, how their plurality of elder leadership functions. 
And I did not think that could be that revealing because it's not rocket science, you know. Um, but I went, and from a Thursday evening to a Monday at noon, I, I got to be a fly on the wall, and I watched how their elders pray specifically for the needs of the body, and I watched how they use their homes, and I watched how they teach all the classes and really uh, uh, catechize the people. And I, I just kind of watched watched it. And, and even in five days to go, holy cow. Uh, that was extremely powerful. There's a, there's something I, I took so many things from that, that I use in training all of our elders now that I got from one weekend of seeing it, what I'd never seen is a part of a church. So I think in that same principle for us to be able to give a blueprint in, in terms of what pastors can see. So whether it's weekenders, something I've been thinking about trying to make harvest available, um, not as the answer, but say, hey, here's a church that is striving very intentionally, all systems pointed at disciple making. Just feel free to come be with us from a Friday to a Monday. So you get to see the weekend activities and a staff meeting after and 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 see something so that uh, hopefully it's refreshing, can kind of change a perspective. So somehow, um, and I know there's other pastors doing uh, things like this, and Robbie has a great intensive that he does. And But to be able to give them, you know, I think it's hard to be hard to become like what we've never seen. You know, it's an old yeah. Dawson Trotman principle, first, first Corinthians three eighteen. but I think that they need to see it and it helps to be able to do that uh, with a, a retreat, a getaway, um, the Lord bringing fresh perspective that might just hit him at the right time. If he's tilled the soil of their heart and they see that and they may recognize how to make their own ministry more healthy um, by being more geared towards disciple making. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. And just as a reminder, we do have an upcoming National Disciple Making Forum that we're hosting here in Nashville, Tennessee, live and in person. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. It's November 4th and 5th, and you can go to discipleship.org today and purchase your tickets for you and any of your staff or any of your church people that you want to bring along to learn more about disciple making and to just have an awesome time celebrating the Lord together. November 4th and 5th, mark your calendars and buy your tickets. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.